Ready? Mm. Here we go. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... H's Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Listeners and welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics is a weekly podcast in which I, Andrew Leyland, and my son, Michael Leyland, yay, pick up some comics and talk about them in a witty and light-hearted way. Well, that's the plan anyway. There's only so many ways we can script an ad lib to sound professional, Just especially when I get it wrong. <laughs> oh, my scripted ad libs, and I messed it up. God, I was just going to bang on about our amateurish delivery, mm. and I've made my point for us. That's where you get for recon on a Friday this week. It is, instead of a Thursday, for reasons too complicated to go into. First up this week, feedback. Yes. It was last week. Enough. No, we have lots. That was last week that we didn't have any. Oh. This week we have plenty. It seems to plenty. be one long week. Plenty. It is. It has been a very long week. Uh, the first one was from Luke Giaconetti. Andrew and Michael, just finished listening to Season 2, Episode 2 of Hey Kids Comics. I wanted to address some of the points you guys raised. Which was Season 2, Episode 2? I don't know. What did we talk about in... What did we do in Episode 2? I don't know. Oh, well, maybe it'll come back to us as we read the email. Uh, first off, Andrew, you mentioned that you like the Southern American accent on women. Ah, uh, yes. To this, I say yes. Yes, indeed. I'm from New York originally, but went to school at Clemson University in South Carolina and later relocated there. And the Southern accent is by far the furthest of the stereotypical American girl voices. Going to school in South Carolina for four years and then working at the university for 2.5 more years meant a glorious, endless parade of Southern bells. In a word, score. <laughs> you horn dog, Luke. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, secondly, in the Batman anniversary issue... Oh, we must have done Detective 526. Which one did I do? Uh, I don't know. It's your job to remember that, not mine. Uh, I'll carry on reading this while it comes back to you. It won't. Okay. You mentioned that the crooks meet up at the tobacconist shop. This made me think of the classic Monty Python Romanian dictionary sketch with the Romanian guy telling the shopkeeper at the tobacconist shop, I will not buy this record. It is scratched. <laughs> well, what? No, they're not meant to be scratched, you fool. I, th- I thought they were, Albert, so you meant to get the sound off them. No, you don't scratch them to get the sound off them. The needle plays within the grooves. But they're meant to be scratched. They're not they meant to grooves. be scratched, because then they jump. What do you know? You've never, you don't have records. I'm on some of them. Yes, I know. You, you do like your vinyl. We, we learned about them in science at one time. Right. Finally, regarding Vicky Vale, Luke continues, I do know that she popped up as recently as after Final Crisis. She plays the secondary role in the first year of Red Robin, and she had a scene with Jack Ryder, a.k.a. the Creeper, in an issue of Outsiders. I want to say she was investigating whether Bruce Wayne was really Bruce Wayne or a body double, thanks to Bruce being dead 
lost in time, I guess, but not sure. Anyway, looking forward to hearing the Nightfall episodes, as I've never read the series except for the few odd issues, namely the two issues of Showcase, which featured Two-Face, my favourite bat bad guy, so it should be enlightening for me. Keep up the good work, dudes. I like that he says dudes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I hope he, he's not upset at the fact that we hated those Two-Face issues. Maybe he's going to listen to him and be hurt, Christian, and never talk to us again. No, because we didn't hate Two-Face. We're actually a big fan of Two-Face. We just thought those particular stories were a bit crap. Anyway, Luke got back to me again after I said that, yes, that I said I I blame my liking for Southern accents on Daisy Duke and Ellie Mae Clampett. And he said, when you couple the Southern accent with the exceptionally common usage of miniskirts, tank tops and cut-off jeans, South Carolina does have its share of benefits. But they dress like that all the time. Because Daisy Duke's back in at the minute, aren't they? Yeah. Have you noticed? Lots of cut-off jeans on women. I've not. No, I have. Listening to season two, episode three, right now, the British slang talk is hilarious. Well, I presume he's not listening to it right now, because no. I got this email a bit ago. Anyway, I will continue. Ago. It sounds like one of those British sitcoms we get on public television. I wonder which sitcoms do they get? I know they had Benny Hill, which just makes me shiver that they think that all of our television is like Benny Hill. But I wonder what else they get. I wonder if they ever got Are You Being Served? A 70s classic. Or if they got Red Dwarf? Do you think they got Red Dwarf? I don't know. Or Spaced? I wonder if they ever got the good ones or if they just got the crap ones. I wonder if they got probably Faulty the, Towers. the crap ones. Yeah, I would have thought so. Maybe I'll write you an email in Southern. <laughs> he should do. Can we could have a great time trying to figure out what that said. Y'all. Y'all. That's the only Southern I know, I think. Here, come up, y'all. Yeah, that's uh, everything get, get, Southern get that G-O-B. I know. I learned from watching The Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> or Burt Reynolds films, mm. Moonshine, and all of that. It's Burt probably just Reynolds. as cliched as the, the British sitcoms the, that the they mullet. get. No, Burt Reynolds was the one with the mustache. Smoking the Bandit. So which one was Hooper. the one with the mullet? Who was the one with the mullet? In Big Trouble in Little. That's Kurt Russell. Right, who did you say? Burt Reynolds. Oh yeah. The Fall Guy sings about Burt Reynolds. Right. Messed up. Yes. It'll never make me president. But I got the best first ladies Some days I've got them as far as the eye can see Ooh-wee. A morning dive with Jackie Smith I crash in the night with Cheryl But in the end, they never stay with me I might fall from a tall building So Bert Reynolds don't get a hurt I might leave a mighty canyon So he can kiss and flirt well, that smooth talker's kissing my girl, I'm just kissing dirt. Yes, I'm the lonely stuntman that made a lover out of dirt. Anyway, in regards to the Skirker and the Joker having the Merc call the FD to say they are cutting the rolls means that they're laying off firefighters. Right. Right. See, we didn't know what that meant, did we? No. Because we're both a bit stupid. Thank you, Luke, for your two emails. Very much appreciated. Michael Bailey got in touch because he said, Wow, no emails. This can't happen again. Here's some random thoughts about the issues you covered. So he obviously didn't like that we had no emails as much as we didn't like that we had no emails. His first email of three. Of three. How cool is that? Dear Andrew and Michael. That would be you. Yes. And me. Just name spot wrong. Yes, well, he spells it that way and you spell it the other way. So I could see how that could be confusing, given that we don't actually spell your name every week. I do. Yes. No, you don't. You just say, I'm Michael. 
No, I have to spell my name every week. Not on the show! I should do it. And I am M-I-C-H-E-A-L. Yes, you should. I don't know quite how to word this email, continues Michael Bailey, without Michael accusing me, our Michael, of always agreeing with Andrew all the time. The that pro- is, it's cool. Yes, I know. The problem here is that you guys are covering one of my favourite Batman stories ever, and there is a lot to like and agree with. And also, if I may interject, he's roughly the same age as me. So we're going to have the same cultural touchstones, more or less. I mean, he knows a lot more American adverts of the time than I do, and they talk about American cereals that I've never heard of. But for the most part... Cereals? Yes, you know, that you eat in the morning. Oh, right. Not like, TV cereals. Like, like Fruit Loops. And, yes. And yes. I had some Fruit Loops. Did you? Yes, my friend came back from America with them. With Fruit Loops? She bought me Fruit Loops. Were they nice? But her brother ate most of them, so I just had the leftovers. That's just shocking. Anyway, Michael continues, Nightfall is an oddity for me. The first time I read the story behind Nightfall was in the summer of 1994, when I picked up the novelization by Denny O'Neill, which Andrew has cited a number of times throughout the episodes, and I appreciate because it's a really solid book. Can't recommend the book enough. Are you going to read the book now? I've finished it. Maybe. It's very good. I, I think the boot was really good. Someday. Uh, I kind of wish graphic audio would adapt it, like they have a number of other DC novels, but maybe they're a rights issue that I'm not aware. During the summer of 1994, I had to take a six-week study skills course because I was a lazy teenager. <laughs> oh, we don't know anything about that, do we? No, And no. applied And did not apply myself in school, so to go to college, I had to take that course. It was a neat summer, comic book-wise, because zero hour was going on. I was taking my first real step into the larger world of DC Comics. I started buying the Batman books again after nearly a four-year absence, and I wanted to get brought up to speed on what happened during Nightfall, because previous to this, the only thing I knew about the series was flipping through the back-breaking issue at a bookstore in late 1993. The novel was perfect for this, and it gave me all the key points that I needed to move on. A few weeks later, I stumbled upon the BBC audio production by Dirk Maggs that made its way to the States. I was already familiar with the Superman Lives audio drama, which over here was not called Superman Lives. It was called Doomsday and Beyond. Yeah, I don't know why they changed the title. Just imagined that they needed to for some reason. Uh, It was a no-brainer that I needed to buy it. To me, and it hurts as a Superman fan to say this, the Nightfall production was much better in terms of writing and even acting. And I appreciate the fact that you've been playing clips from that during the episodes. They add a lot to the episodes that bring it to life. Yes, I have. Um, I'm glad that Michael appreciates that because it takes an awful long time to edit them in. Mm. You've got to listen to the show, make timing notes on where the bits are that you want to include in the episode, fit them to the comment you've just talked about. It takes a lot of time, but I'm assuming that he will know this, because I fully expect him to do the sermon from crisis to crisis when they start covering the death of Superman. Maybe they don't edit those. I think Michael edits it. Oh, okay. Jeffrey doesn't, as far as I know. Anyway. Yeah, if you actually listen to our show... You'd know the yeah. amount of effort I put into editing these so that they are concise and fat-free and a, a glorious of, example of our wit and wisdom I, distilled into 60 minutes of audio magnificence. I put a lot of effort into the ones I edit. Yes, yes. I, I do. I finally managed to read the comics via the two trades DC released towards the end of 1994. I discovered this great little comic shop near where I live that sold CDs, compact discs for you, the iPod generation, of a mostly underground variety in the back of the store, and comics, mostly new in the front. They had a wicked trade selection, which may not sound like much now, but was a rarity in 1994. I bought the two trades, and if I hadn't listened to the audio adaptation or the novel, or read the novelisation, I would probably have felt like I was pushed 
pushed in at the deep end without knowing how to swim. Because the first trade doesn't mention anything about Jean-Paul Valli, who the baying guy is, or why he's blowing a great big hole in Arkham Asylum. Still, it was cool to finally read the comic book version. I was glad they included the two-phase two-parter from Showcase 93. A couple of things about that. I, we mentioned that, didn't we? What? Because we started roughly where the trade paperback started with just with Nightfall issue one yeah. and there isn't a ton of backstory that's not in that first issue mm-hmm. that I really think they should have included somehow secondly uh, they could have skipped that two-faced two-parter from Showcase 93 mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't like that very much did we no. we thought that was a waste of pen uh, your coverage so far has been fantastic love the show Steve and I will now admit that while I have read and listened to this story in a variety of formats I never caught the Simpson Flanders gag <laughs> best to you both with more to follow and he's as good as his word because just one well how long ago that one was dated 2nd of July just five days later on the 7th of July mm-hmm. came another email but I just remembered what you, you haven't told me what Superman apologist means I thought I mentioned that uh, um, an apologist is somebody who who makes a defence of the belief system, irrespective of whether or not it's sometimes not very good or very reliable or not. So I would be called a Star Wars prequel apologist, because I like the prequels. In despite of overwhelming evidence, they're actually a big pile of steaming poo. I don't agree with that. I like them. Okay. And people would just call me an apologist for that, because you're not looking, they're crap, they're obviously crap. Like, I'm not allowed my own opinion on them. There are good bits, there are bad bits, but I think they're great. That's my opinion. Michael says in his second email, Shadow of the Bat issues should be cheap. I filled up 95% of my run at this used bookstore that sold comics and DVDs and the like in the 50 cent box. Those issues are not anywhere near valuable. That is true. Do you know how I know that's true? How? Because this very morning, a big box of comics arrived on our doorstep. The first 75 issues of Shadow of the Bat for under £50. I was very impressed with that. Under 50 Yeah. Well, well, it's 50 quid, I think. Uh, There's a couple of issues I've got. Obviously, I've got the Night Quest and the um, Night's End issues, but it was worth buying them for the ones that I don't have. The Batman annual you were thinking of with Two-Face was number 14 from 1990. Yes, it was. Read that, it's good. It does indeed sport a beautiful Neil Adams cover. And when I say beautiful, I really mean rather ghastly, because it's Two-Face and he's 16 different types of fuggler. Yes, a much better representation of Two-Face than the one Klaus Janssen did. He's actually scurry. The story is amazing, and if memory serves, had the origin of the coin come from his father. Apparently, dear old Daddy Dent would flip a coin to decide whether or not to beat Harvey, and he would always call heads, which was unfortunate for Harvey, because it was a two-headed coin, yes! Um, It's really good. Chris Sprouse did the artwork. Okay. Oh, I want to say Andy Helfer wrote it, but... It's been a while since I read that. Could so go check. It's that in could be a guess. No, it'll be in a different box. Oh, okay. it wasn't a Shadow of the Bat issue. It was a Batman annual. Um, I bought that annual new off the shelf during that summer because I was buying all the Batman books at the time. I love that annual. I do as well, Michael. I bought that off the shelf probably just on the strength of the cover. I thought the cover was brilliant. You need to. Okay. It's very good. Anarchy had both a mini series and an ongoing because we mentioned that he had an ongoing series. Mm. Uh, He has most of both. Apparently the ongoing tried to reveal the Joker was Anarchy's biological father. (laughs) That's... I like the sound of that. That's dumb as dirt. Oh, dear. 
Uh, Michael continues, I've never read those issues, so I don't know if that was a head game or not. All right, so we don't know if that's true or not. I like Anarchy 2, mainly because he first appeared right at the end of 1989, and I was seriously into the Bat Books at that time. Everybody was into the Bat Books at that time. It was the Tim Burton movie. You were, because you weren't alive. Uh, The Two-Face stories you discussed were pretty awful. Yes. Yes, they really were. Although I liked them when I first read them. I agree with you about Klaus Janssen. Not a fan of his penciling. Um... I don't recall not liking them when I first read them. Yeah. I think it was when we read them this time, as you pointed out, you'd just gone from this pivotal moment in the story and suddenly they've slammed the brakes on Mm. and you're reading this two-faced two-parter that you don't care about. I think the problem with it was where it was positioned. If it had happened before Before, then, I'd have probably been more accepting of it. Mm. But, Leah, you pointed that out. It's just you don't want to be reading this at this point. It's like if you'd watched The Next Generation's Best of Both Worlds. Yeah. And then next week you saw a completely different episode, the Borg one. Right. It wouldn't work. I mean, it it was a season cliffhanger, so you know what I mean. But, no. Positioning is everything. Uh, The making fun of Scarecrow because he reads goes back to his Golden Age first appearance, apparently. Okay. I didn't know that. Uh, Isn't this the story where Crane reveals that he's been mastering a fighting style, which turns out to be the Crane style? Yes. Yes, he, he has, from all his reading... And we mustn't have mentioned this. He's made up his own version of a martial art that he's developed himself, which basically just looks like him having a attack, to be honest with you. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, if memory serves, Brett Blevins was storyboard artist for Batman the Animated Series. I didn't know that. Me neither. But that could be. Over here, when Batman the Animated Series was first shown, it was shown cut into two bits on some... God awful Saturday morning kids oh, TV I show. This. Didn't you a video record? And I would well. I recorded the entire three hour long show. Yeah. And then I would nick the video recorder from downstairs, me nan and granddad's because I was still living at home. Yeah. Take it upstairs to my video recorder and just cut out the Batman bits. And because of that, they never showed the end credits. Right. So I never knew who did what on that show until I got the DVDs, God, ten years later, something like that. That's all for now, talk to you soon. And he did talk to us soon, because later that same day, he emailed us again. Okay, I can't read it. Uh, yeah, that's because when I printed it out, it printed out at an angle. Oh, okay. So, uh, Alan Grant and Norm Brefogel worked on Detective for several years before moving to Batman, where they stayed until Shadow of the Bat came out. Now, I didn't remember that at all. Okay. I remembered him working on Detective... I don't remember him doing many Batman issues together, Alan Grant and Norm Brefogel. Maybe they did ones you didn't get. I think I've got them all for around... I think I've got every issue of Batman from roughly around 310 to around 530. Oh, OK. Because that was the year I was reading Batman regularly. Hmm. But I don't remember that. I don't, I don't doubt your word, Michael. I believe you. Um, I think the Drakes always live next to Bruce Wayne. I could be wrong on that. See, I'm not sure. I thought they only moved next to Bruce Wayne after Tim Drake was introduced into the book. I don't think they lived next door to him all the time. But I could be wrong, again. It's been a while since I read Robin Year One, or was it Batman Year Three? I don't know. And A Lonely Place of Dying and all of that. Yes, because Robin Year One was the trade paperback job by Chuck Dixon. Yes. Yes. Remember this from earlier in the episode. The storyline where the Bat Book switched to the Anton first designs was called Destroyer. Yes. Yes, it was a three... Yes, he says here. Ran in all three of the Batman titles at the time. One of the few Legends of the Dark Knight issues that has a story that takes place in current continuity. Came out in January or so of 1992. Yes, it did. Because it received a lot of complaints. Because they did it as a three-part story and one part of it was in Legends of the Dark Knight. And they got a lot of complaints from people who only read Legends of the Dark Knight 
because they couldn't be bothered with all the continuity stuff. Didn't they do that with Nightfall? Yes, and they got a lot of complaints from people who only read Batman and Detective because Legends wasn't available on the newsstands. So they received a lot of complaints about that, that they did that. But it didn't stop them doing it with Night Quest Mm. and Night's End and all of that gubbins. Uh, Enjoyed the show as always. Take care. You too, Michael. Thank you very much for your emails. Um, Right, we'll probably play a promo of some description. And then we'll be right back. Each week on the 20 Minute Long Box, I submit myself to the powers of randomness and review a title from my collection, completely at random and all within 20 minutes. It's the Super Compressed podcast for the decompressed, written for trade age. Join me, Steve Lacey, each week at 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com or find me on iTunes. And we're back. Wow, it's it's like it's instantaneous, isn't it? Almost. It's not like we've had a trip to the vets and a, a journey to drop your sister off at a party and ten minutes to kill. Ten minutes to kill. Wow, the wonders of editing. Yeah. Do you think the audience will ever know? Yes. Why? You just told them. Damn! Really need to get this in my head, don't I? That, oh. Anyway, this week we aim to conclude our epic Nightfall coverage. As we look at the three Batman books that wrapped up the Nightfall saga, and indeed part one of the three-part Knights storyline. We kick off this week's show with Batman 499. I'll shake it in the microphone. Because I'd always Just sound. so you know we have Just the so, issue. Yes, we're, we're, we've not downloaded legally. Oh no. Uh, released on July 13th, 1993, with a September cover date, this, the 17th chapter of Nightfall, boasts another Kelly Jones cover, this time a symbolic shot of a wheelchair-bound Bruce Wayne being attacked by the new Batman, who seems to have strapped crocodile spikes to his arms, and is wearing spiky metal gloves. It's one of Jones's most normal-looking covers. Mm. What do you think? I didn't know that was Bruce Wayne. Who did you think it was? Doing the wheelchair. It, I suppose, conceivably, I suppose it could have been Jack Drake. Uh, I thought the new Batman was so evil that he beat it up people in wheelchairs. <laughs> he was now. beating up the handicapped, <laughs> the disabled, there's, the defenceless, there's the no powerless. Way, like striking fear into the hearts of a sitter than beating up a powerless dude. Than de- beating up a disabled dude. Yeah, yeah. That'll bring back his fearsome creature of the night reputation, won't it? Eat some babies, and he's got his reputation back. <laughs> Some babies! <laughs> oh dear God. I don't think um, Jean Paul Valley goes quite that far. The story is called The Venom Connection and it's written by Doug Mensch. It has art by Todd McFarlane and Scott Hanna and it features a big hulking no, dude in no. a black and white Spider Man costume. Oh, not that Venom! No. Right. Sorry about that. Right. Cross wires. Yeah. Although that would be a good Marvel DC crossover. Although Ven- maybe not Bane on the Venom. Yeah. Bane and Venom. Venomous Bane. Yes. Ooh, very good. It's actually art. Oh, 
Actually, the art is by Jim Aparo and Scott Hammer. It was coloured by Adrian Roy, lettered by Ken Brusenak, and edited by Garfinkel and O'Neill. Man, I thought you were being serious about a joke, and I was like, dude, can you read that? No, I was, it was just an right, off-the-cuff right. little scripted ad-lib. Only not scripted. It was good. I thought so. Maybe if it was scripted, you might have messed it up, so... <laughs> yes, it was good if I didn't script it. <laughs> you cheeky get. Anyway, you're taking lead on this. Go Batman. on. Yes. Batman. Brutally beats up Tony, uh, Tony Brezza until he and Tony come to an agreement. Tony says that if Batman keeps all the other dons where they are so he can convince Bane that they're handing over the unions, he'll get, Bane will give Tony his kids back. Over in the cave, Bruce says he has to find Chandra Kinsolving and Jack Drake, who's previously been kidnapped by unknown men. He analyses a mask left behind by one of the men, who finds that he's been vaccinated against malaria. From this, Bruce makes some deductions, and after a brief consultation with Oracle, he and Alfred pack up to leave. Bane watches a news report saying that there are many eyewitness reports that say Batman is back. Bane doesn't buy it. The costume may be back, but it's not Batman. Zombie answers a phone call from Tony Brezzi, saying that the unions is there as long as they give Tony his kids back. Tim gets back home, changes and then collapses on his bed. Oracle contacts Bruce, informing him that the malaria vaccine is mandatory in nine countries, one of which is a small island called Santa Prisca. She also wishes that Bruce gets better and, unlike her, finds a way out of the wheelchair. Then, Jean Paul shows up, and Bruce and Alfred then leave the cave. Jean Paul sits and draws until realising the system took control of him. He builds the claw gloves he designed, and Tim shows up before Jean Paul strops off. He does strap off, doesn't He's he? worse than me. He's a lot worse than you, and that's saying something. At the airport, Selena Cowell tries to get to Santa Prisca via Bruce's private jet, but Alfred escorts her off. At the deal between Bane's boys and Tony Brezzi, Batman jumps out and claws the dudes, risking the lives of Brezzi's children. At the cave, Jean Paul makes some new costume designs and tells Tim to go home before his father misses him. When he gets home, the house is empty and Tim finds a note from Alfred saying they'll find his dad. On Bruce's plane, Alfred finds Selina in the toilets and she lies saying it was an emergency and she needed to use the, facility, the facilities and fell asleep. What kind of emergency? I needed to take a quick dump. Oh, I don't do... Cats would... Yeah, well, the cats do have to have special places, don't they? To do stuff like that. I think Bane has gotten a tough Tony, and I think tough Tony will lead me to Bane. Paul, no. Bruce said you mustn't... Bruce made me Batman. That means I have to call it as I see it. Hear him out! That's all I say. What the... Tony Bressy! Batman? Where's Bane? Batman! The monsters are getting away! Where is he? I can't tell you! He's got my kids! He's got my kids! There's no need for this! You be quiet! My kids! Your kids will be fine! First I want Bane. Um, page two of Batman brutally beating Tony Brezzi. Um, he threatens to make tough Tony Brezzi eat his own eyes. <laughs> it's not eating babies, but... Yeah, that's close enough, I suppose, yeah. Um, I suppose if you need to rebuild Batman's once fearsome reputation, that's a pretty good way of going about it. There are two sides of being the Batman here. Both of them on display. Whilst Jean-Paul is cracking heads, Bruce is back in the cave doing some solid detective work. Granted, he needs a bit of help from Oracle to do it, but it's nice to see Bruce finally calling in some help. Now, where's Dick Grayson? 
um, in the next issue, I think. Is it? Good. Looking forward to that. Scott Hanna has a very heavy line to his inking, which suits artists like John Romita Jr., but takes the soft edges of artists like Capara. Again, it's not a horrible combination, like whenever Vinnie Coletta inks Kirby, and it's not like Hannah swamps Aparo's style like Tom Palmer can occasionally do. Um, it's pretty to look at, though. Mm. I quite like the art in this one. What do you think? That don't mind it. I think Oracle looked more like Murray Jane yeah. on page 9 and 10 than I remember Barbara Gordon, but maybe she's just changed her hair. Women do that, I'm told, yeah. occasionally. Um, and it's a nice scene with Barbara Gordon. Now, Oracle, where she explains that she knows what's happened to him. I don't see how she couldn't know. Bane threw him off a yeah. building in public. It's kind of hard for her not to know what's going on, though. Especially given that her dad is the commissioner of the police. So it would be a bit strange that she didn't know. Uh, there are mentions of Harold, the idiot savant who helps Batman with his technology before being unceremonially bumped off in Hush and Ace, Batman's pet dog, who seems to have disappeared. Uh, he does not, however, wear a mask and fight crime anymore. He should. Which is a shame, because I quite like the idea of it. Didn't Ace the Bat-Hound have to wear a mask because he had a distinctive mark on his head and people would recognise him as being Bruce Wayne's dog? I don't know. I think so. That's why he wore a mask. <laughs> that's true. I think that's true anyway. Was this the 40s by any chance? Uh, possibly even the 50s Ace the Bat Hound who I think was created solely for a rival for Crypto the Superdog isn't Ace the Bat Hound in that Crypto the Superdog cartoon yeah is he I thought I'd seen one with him in (laughs) Uh, Jean-Paul makes a pair of hideous and thoroughly impractical looking spiky gloves thanks to the system now, I don't mind Jean-Paul's additions to the costume, but these things are hideous and spiky fingers make it look like Batman couldn't even pick anything up, let alone swing on a bat grapple. They also that he shoots out of his hands. That he shoots out of his hands like Spider-Man does. They also don't look terribly practical in terms of just picking things up. I mean, Kimo, does he go to the toilet in these gloves? Well, he has to keep his urges under control. How would he take the gloves off? Do you think there's a button? With his teeth... <laughs> you wouldn't put your teeth around that. Keep your fingers away. Oh, okay. Unless there's a button where the glove just shoots off his hand. And then stab somewhere in the face. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Uh, Batman needlessly endangers Bressy's kids on page 17 when he just leaps into action with nary a thought whatsoever for the children being there. He does explain it as saying that he knew Robin was there. But Robin's not too happy, is he? No. He doesn't seem best pleased about it. Uh, Catwoman sneaks on board Bruce Wayne's jet on page 22. A subplot that, as far as I can see, goes absolutely nowhere. What is she doing there? Um, Do you think... Was Catwoman's own book out at this point? I or did that so. come a bit later? Because it's it not too. mentioned in any of the next issue boxes. And it was only up to issue 5 or 6 when it was Night's End. Night's Maybe Quest. So maybe her own boot wasn't out yet. But then there's no mention of her in Batman 500, is there? So no what was she doing in Santa Prisca? Well, he's in briefly. But So where does that Catwoman subplot go? Maybe she just wanted to follow Bruce Wayne. She's a fan. She's a fan of Bruce Wayne. Isn't the whole reason she's teamed up with Bane? Because he's broke Batman. But she's a fan of Bruce Wayne, so she wants to go to Santa Prisca with him. That yeah. makes no sense. She, I mean, she's not a fan of... 
uh, Batman. She just likes Bruce Wayne. I liked it when she was a fan of Batman. Uh, Bruce leaves with Alfred here to investigate what has happened to Tim's dad and Sean Burkin solving one of the main narrative thrusts for the second part of the Knight's trilogy, Knight's Quest. That's the search, isn't it? Knight's Quest, the search. Yeah. Knight's Quest splits off into two stories, doesn't it? Yeah. Knight's Quest, the Crusade, and Knight's Quest, the search. And the search follows Bruce Wayne and Alfred. And it's primarily that that's in the audio adaptation and the novel. Um, the Crusade gets a bit of short shrift, really. Although, mm. they do do a brilliant adaptation. Shut up. <laughs> they do do. They do an excellent oh, adaptation yeah. of the Joker's movie. You'll believe a Batman can die. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's a fantastic series, isn't it? Yeah, we love that. So that's in the audio, but not in the novel. Okay, but it's very well done. Jean Paul starts as he means to go on by creating deadly offensive weapons here, stating that he's going after Bane. A good issue, all told. The subplots are bubbling along nicely, and the Bane storyline feels like it's coming to a conclusion, while still setting up the strands for the next chapter of the story. What did you think of it? Batman 499, Michael. On page 9, panel 2. Yes, page 9. Let me have a look. Okay. Page 9. That's page 8. That's an advert for Skittles. Page 9, panel 2, yes. So, Bruce Wayne looks like Kaneda from Akira. I've not read Akira in many a moon. He's like, gah! He does look inordinately happy to be getting a phone call. It's like, have you had a phone call before, Bruce? He's one of those sad, lonely people who sits there waiting for Waiting for the phone to ring. He gets so desperate, they phone themselves on a mobile phone. Oh, dear me. When Jean Paul tells Tim to go home, he has a sinister look on his face. Does he know that Tim's dad has been kidnapped? What page does he tell him to go home? It's not... I don't get that that's sinister. It's evil and sinister. All right, if you say so. But doesn't earlier on... He knows... No, he doesn't, because Batman just tells him that Alfred and I were just leaving. Sorry, Bruce Wayne. He's not Batman anymore, is he? Tells him that they're leaving. He doesn't say why they're leaving. And he just tells him to keep... um, Gotham under control so I don't think John Paul knows nah he still has a sinister look uh, he, he's a maybe bit a... it was him who set it up do you think I, I don't think John Paul Valley's got the brains to do something like that I've not read this in a while I think he might no I, I, just, I don't think he's very intelligent he, he wanted Bruce out of town well like he wants he, Bruce out of town so he can have the cave exactly and, but he's not really bothered about Wayne Manor as we'll find out later on most of the adverts in this issue seem to be for toffee. Yeah. There's an advert for tangy taffy, an advert for barcutude. Oh, uh, that, that's What's it. What's barcutude? I don't know, but it's like, hi, I'm Bobby. I'm from the barcutude's the commercial. It's in colour. Like, that's a selling point. Barcutude look like tattoos. Yeah. Amazing removal body art free inside 12 packs of barks. Oh, it's root beer. When did... That's a terrible advert. Yeah. Because it's advertising tattoos... And not the root beer. That's a shocking advert. When, when did colour t- adverts come out? Colour TV? Yeah. In America, the mid-60s, Batman's in co- Batman made a big deal about in colour, remember, at the beginning. So how come in this, the, the, that the fact that the advert's in colour is a I think they point? were just selling the point that he's an old guy, and the advert is very 50s orientated, and it's layout. Oh. So I think they were just being spoofy. So There's an advert over. for Spree... Which look like Smarties. Smarties are candy-coated chocolates over here. Mm. 
there's an advert for Batman Returns, the video game. There's an advert for Six Flags, the theme park. I don't get it why Six Flags are on the seven. I don't know. A Mile High Comics advert. And uh, the letters page isn't particularly interesting this week. There was a good letter from R.G. Dibleek in one of the issues he writes an article for um, a blog for Comic Book Resources okay. where he said they missed a marketing opportunity and they should have sold that issue of Batman Batman 497 where Bruce gets his back broken yeah. they should have sold it with a bent spine <laughs> yeah <laughs> that amused me no end <laughs> not just because it's quite a sick joke so yeah. that appealed to me but the idea of bending a spine of a comic book in front of a comic fan would just make them have palpitations. Detective Comics 666. The number of the beast. For it is a human number. Should play a bit of Iron Maiden though. Okay. Okay. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast. For it is a human number. Its number is 666. I left alone My mind was blank I needed time to think To get the memories from my mind What did I see? Can I believe That what I saw that night Was real and not just fantasy Just what I saw In my old dreams the reflections of my woman staring back at me Cause in my dreams It's always there The evil face that twists my mind And brings me to despair No! 
Hope you enjoyed that. Number of the Bees by Iron Maiden. We haven't played any metal in this, have we? Nope. I quite enjoyed that. He said as if we were doing this in real time. Detective Comics 666 houses Nightfall Part 18. It has, it has to be said, judging also by the snickering of the 15-year-old boy to my left, a very sexually suggestive cover. And I can't believe nobody in editorial spotted this. Bane rises, read into that unintentional pun, (laughs) what you will, all muscular, huge and naked, sans his mask in front of a rather small and intimidated looking Batman whose head is at Bane's groin. My, that jaw's gonna hurt. Oh, my, that's a big one, to quote Dirty Harry. Uh, Now, unlike Michael... I'm not normally a fan of taking something innocent and applying a sexual context to it. It's hard to on this one, Because though. that always seems a bit seedy to me, but, yeah, you, you're absolutely right in this case. Nobody, nobody at DC Comics thought that cover looked odd. Everyone at DC's asleep. Obviously, judging by that. I mean, let's, independent adjudicator, please, filthy assistant, what do you think of that cover? There we go. There's the opinion from the wife, though. It, yeah, it. Mm, uh, I think I've said enough on that. <laughs> it's just quite, quite bad. The issue is called The Devil You Know. It's written by Chuck Dixon, with art by Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna again. The usual suspects did the other stuff. It was released on July 27th, 1993, and has a cover date of September 93. There's still a UK price on this of 70 pence. Whereas the US price was $1.75, so it was roughly in line with um, the exchange rate of the time. Synopsis, Mike? Jean Paul pays a visit to Commissioner Gordon. Whoa. Gordon tells him that Bane's boys are being held in the city detention centre. Gordon is shocked when he turns around, Batman is still there. Batman then leaves when Gordon asks what Batman will do to Bane. In prison, Bullock interrogates Zombie. We're back in the Zells. Bane's goons... Zells. I said Zells. You said Zells. Back in the Zells... That's better. Bane's goons all talk about if Bane will save them or not. And at that moment, the bag falls into the cells filled with gas masks. The building is then filled with gasks, and the three escape. Gasks. Gas. (laughs) Giggity, giggity. (laughs) Lost the ability to speak after a week at school, have we? The building is then filled with gas and the three escape, all while Batman watches. Batman follows the three back to Bane, where he says he didn't free them. That would be Bane yes. saying it to the three dudes. Batman then smashes through the window and takes out the three of them quickly with these scratchy gloves because he's a camp Batman. I don't think those gloves are camp. Wow. Well, He's then attacked by Bane, and after a long and bloody battle that takes about half the issue, Bane throws Batman off the side of a building with a rope around his foot. With Batman hanging head first, Bane cuts the rope. Jean-Paul! Is Bruce still around? Or Alfred? They left a message, Tim. Didn't you see it? Of course I saw it! My dad's been kidnapped, and Dr. Consolving, and they just left! Why didn't Bruce take me with him? Maybe he couldn't find you. I've been out all night looking for you! We were supposed to meet for the regular patrol. 
Word on the street said you were too busy rousting out Bane's gang. Look, another time. Hey, my dad's being abducted, and you're directly violating Bruce's orders. I'm Batman now, and I'm busy. What are these little bat-shaped things? Ah, sharp. They're called shurikens. Mm. Bruce wouldn't have been defeated if he'd given himself an edge. So I've redesigned the uniform. Mm. These are for the new gauntlets. 50 in each magazine. Accurate to 25 yards. <laughs> tougher Batman for a tougher Gotham. Tougher or meaner? Paul, where'd you get the idea of firing two-inch razor blades at people? I... I don't know. But if you don't like it, you can walk. an adequate synopsis. It's pretty much what happens. Yeah, it's pretty much what happens. Uh, the splash page is excellent. Even though more and more I'm becoming disenchanted with Jean-Paul's gloves, they just look stupid. Yeah, clever though. Watching As the wire goes around. Yeah, things. I'm very impressed with that. Yeah, on the splash, the splash page is excellent, and Graham Nolan's artwork is brilliant in this. Scott Hanna's ink suit Nolan better than Aparo, in mm. my humble opinion. But on the first page. Batman shoots his bat grapple out of his glove. Now, all right, I'll buy that he's smart enough to design this. I have no problem with that. But the bat grapple avoids his fingers. How does it do that exactly? It's clever. It's, it'd have to be very clever. Also, does he just retract the bat grapple when he's finished with it? He doesn't just leave these hanging around Gotham City, does he not? Well, you couldn't retract it whilst you're swinging, could you? Well... It, the implication here, he's got one in his right hand and he's shooting one with his left. Mm. Right. Left. Yeah. Right. 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 So he could retract that one when that one catches, kind of like in mid-motion. But you got to think about those type of grapples, right? Yes. If you would retract them, you get pulled backwards because it's kind of caught in what you've swung on. True. Good point. So he just leaves back grapples lying around all over Gotham City. Spider-Man right. okay. webs all over the place. Yes, but his dissolve after an hour. So that's fair enough. So, however, yeah. okay, the Spider-Man connection again. Spider-Man runs out of web fluid, doesn't yeah. he? How many grapples does he store in those gloves? Well, they're quite big, and the cables, well, that's different to that. That's a rope, and that's a cable. Yeah, so what's going on there, then? I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps we're not supposed to spend too much time thinking about that. No. No? Okay. It is an excellent splash page, though, and I like it a great deal. Um, page four... Uh, I loved the You're Still Here scene. It's very well written and well drawn, playing with Gordon's and our expectations, because we're used to Batman just disappearing in the middle of a conversation. The art on page two and three uh, is especially good, especially page three, panel two, yeah, where Batman's all hidden in shadows. It's stretching credulity somewhat that Gordon doesn't know that this is a different man, in my opinion. Or does it? Well... See, we're given to believe in the next issue, Batman 500, that he has his suspicions. Mm. And we see him putting all that together. But in the novel, Gordon knows pretty much straight away that it's a different guy in the back suit. Fair enough. Showing that he has a bit more brains than he's given credit for having in the comics sometimes. Mm. Which I liked. I liked that in the in the book. Well, this doesn't phone Batman up at every given opportunity. Um, well, doesn't he put an embargo on phoning Batman up at some point? Was that on a TV show? No, in the TV show he phoned him, you yeah. know, he phoned him if an old lady crossed the road wrong and was jaywalking. <laughs> Chief O'Hara, there's a jaywalker. Begora, Commissioner Gordon. How did I, Gordon? How did I, Gordon? Phone the, the Batman. God forbid we should do our jobs. Phone the Batman to stop him. 
<laughs> I don't think that works really, does it? Uh, no. He doesn't have a Chief O'Hara in this either. On page well, seven... There is one in here. There is a Chief O'Hara. Is there a Chief O'Hara? Well, in previous issues. Oh, yes, there has been. Yes, you're right. On page seven, there have been numerous discussions about whether Superman sported a mullet after his return. Uh, well, no, he didn't. Because page seven of this... No, he didn't. He just had long hair. Have you got a mullet? No. Right. Well, Superman had her roughly the same length of yours. No, he... After Reign of the Superman. He had a Mel Gibson lethal weapon mullet. No, he didn't. Yes, he He did. He didn't have longer hair at the back than he did at the front. He had her like you've got it now. Just long. That, on page seven, is a mullet. That's a Kurt Russell mullet. Um, Superman had a Mel Gibson mullet. No, Superman just had long hair like Duncan MacLeod in Highlander. As evidenced by the fact that Superman had tightened a ponytail. Like okay. Duncan MacLeod has to do in Highlander. He just has long hair. Zombie or trog or whoever the hell that is. Bird. bird. Is that Bird? Yeah. Bird has a mullet. He's got it short, cropped and spiky at the top. And then long at the back. That's a proper mullet. Superman did not have a mullet. Me and Michael Bailey. I should be more grammatically correct though. Michael Bailey and I mm. are going to form the Superman did not have a mullet fan club. It's got two members, me and him. <laughs> well, other than that, no, he didn't have a mullet. Bird has a mullet. Enough? Have we, have we banged about on that point enough? Excellent. The escape on pages seven and eight is incredibly sneaky of Batman and quite clever. However, I think the comic tips its hand too soon that Batman is behind it all. Whilst page 8, panel 5 is great, where we see the three criminals getting away and Batman's hiding on top of a water tower, silhouetted in front of the moon. Uh, The novel plays it down to the wire regarding who orchestrated the escape, with the reader only finding out when Trog and co find out. Uh. And it works much better. All the way through this, you're thinking Bane is breaking them out. Mm. And then Batman shows up, and you go, Ah, very clever! I like that. So I think the novel played that better. Page 12, panel 2. Awesome! Batman bursting through the window because he's used Trog and Bird and Zombie to find Bane. So Jean-Paul did have a few brains. Just not much. He just wasn't very good at the detective work, was he? Batman takes out Trog, Bird and Zombie with very little effort. In fact, he takes them out in three panels. (laughs) I do like that. He just keeps the cack out of them. Better than Bruce. Yes, well, no, Bruce Wayne didn't have much trouble with Trog, Zombie, and Bird, and Bert, did he? He spent an issue fighting them. Well, even knackered, he didn't have much trouble with them. Hmm. Besides, and here you could argue he's caught them by surprise, and he doesn't give them any quarter. He just kicks the cack out of him with his brand spanking new gloves. Scratchy cack gloves. Um, the blonde mullety dude, who I keep forgetting, is that Bird? Yeah. I keep getting these mixed up. Just lost half he of his face. punches him in the face with his glove. Yeah, he's at the very least, he's got a broken nose and a broken jaw. It's unlikely he's coming back from that with no injuries. The other two, he just kind of taps Zombie, <laughs> and the other one he kicks in the face. So around. he's probably okay, one would have thought. So he takes them out with very little effort, and it's straight on to the main event, Batman versus Bane round two. And it has to be said, Jean-Paul holds his own a lot better than Bruce did a few issues ago, doesn't he? Mm. Um, he quite literally kicks the cat out of Bane, with Bane only getting the upper hand, because Batman gets a bit curless, as opposed to the Batman Bruce Batman Bruce Wayne versus Bane fight where Bruce essentially gave up yeah which bugged me and still bugs me um stop saying um, um did you enjoy this one 
Yeah, I thought it was alright, yeah. I enjoyed this one. Chuck Dixon does great comics. I yeah. love Chuck Dixon. I really do. I preferred the art in this issue. Do you not, you're not, you're not a big fan of Jim Aparo, are you? You don't hate him. No, but I prefer... But you prefer art. Graham Nolan. Mm-hmm. I have to think, I like Jim Aparo's stuff, I really do. But I, I do think Scott Hanna suits Nolan better. Uh, I do like on page 11, I'm just flipping through the issue and I've spotted, Bane's turning into Hugh Hefner now. <laughs> Is that, do you think that's, he saw Bruce Wayne dressed like that? Yeah. And he thought, I'm having some of that. <laughs> and now he's wearing um, a big dressing gown, showing his big manly chest and having a glass of wine. I do think Bane drunk. He's wearing eyeliner. Is he? Has he got eyeliner on as well? The back page has an advert for the death of life of Superman. It's a novel by Roger Stern. Companion piece to this very story. And the back page has a half-page ad for the new Batman coming next issue. I like that. And a letter from Kelly Jones giving credit to Bob LaRose, who has coloured all of his covers so far. Which I thought was quite nice. Um, I'm not sure. That ends up being the cover of Detective Comics 667. And it just looks a bit off to me. I, I like it. His, uh, his hands are too small. All told, very good. Mm. Nightfall chapter 18, I liked it. Is Bruce Wayne nowhere to be seen in this? Nope. So the Catwoman storyline goes absolutely nowhere? Yep. Okay, fur dues. You know, when um, all of Bane's goons break out of prison yes. and Batman's tailing them, I thought Bane broke them out of prison and Batman was tailing them. Did you? I, I thought Batman was following them back to Bane, but I thought Bane broke them You thought them Bane out. had done it? Yeah. So his plan worked? Maybe. It was very sneaky. No. It was a good plan, that. I like that. Like I said, the novel is slightly what's it. Right. And on the last page, mm-hmm. when Bane and Batman crash into the side building thing. Yes. You know what they clean windows with? Yes. Would Bane's weight not have smashed it and sent it falling down? Think about how big he is and how far he fell down. Um. Well, I don't know, to be honest with you. Because ha- I would imagine those things have to be quite sturdy. Mm. Because if they snap... The dude's going to fall. The dude's going to fall, yes. opening the mylar bag as his art has developed he's gone crap he's he's took some obscure artistic choices called crap <laughs> yeah I'm not going to win this one am I um, alright okay you say potato I say potato 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 no one says potato spud whatever Batman 500 I have very specific memories of buying issue 500, and so we cue the memory music. Da, da, 
Behold the white light, can I just see Batman with the instead of Jean Paul like Yes, it's very clever. Oh, Simon Pegg. As we have already established, I was 21 when these books were out. I was young, free, single, and had a job and money, but because I am notoriously cheap and prefer to spend my money on beer and comics, I didn't have a car. Comics Day in the US is Wednesday, and traditionally late Thursday or Friday over here. In comic shops, obviously, I've bored you before about three months, blah, blah, ballast, blah, blah. Therefore, I tended to have to wait until Saturday to pick up any books I was buying, and unless we were going to a comic mart in Manchester, in which case I'd go on the train, I relied on a few buddies, hi Scott and Simon, who also read comics to be going, and I bummed a ride with them. On this particular Saturday, we weren't hanging out like we normally did, for some reason lost to the mists of time, but I was very excited to pick up the last issue of Nightfall, so I biked 22 miles to Preston, to Thunderbooks 2, now called That Comic Shop, I think. I think it's been rebranded with a different name. Uh, I bought tons of books that day, I don't remember the rest. Uh, I know I bought Wildstar by Jerry Ordway and Al Gordon, the only image book I'd bought at that point, other than Spawn. And the only one I would buy, yes, I bought a couple of issues of Spawn. The only one I would buy till Walking Dead, I think, was Truth Justin in the American Way, an image book. All right, well, I bought that before Walking Dead then. So I thought I did buy Did I? I thought I bought Walking Dead before I bought Invincible. I don't remember either. It doesn't really matter. Okay, well, whatever. I didn't buy a lot of image books is the point I'm trying to get across. Uh, I had to stop under a bridge on the A49 on the way home because it started to rain. So you stopped under the bridge until it stopped raining? Yes. So you didn't damage it? Yes, of course it rained. It's the north of England. Uh, It didn't rain long unusually for the north of England and I biked the 22 miles home with my swag was that an interesting story? They were very interesting <laughs> I'm getting that you didn't think so uh, I'm going to stop going off on my little tangents about how I bought this so after boring you all rigid with that tale of Batman 500 I will tell you that it came out on August 17th 1993 it has a cover by Joe Quisada and Kevin Nolan proving that Michael doesn't read my notes. I did, but I was doing it for the humorous and podcast. I, I wish I could I could describe properly. Michael is sat here, opening the cover, closing the cover, opening the cover, closing the cover, so he can see both images. And it's just like that episode of The Simpsons. Bed goes up, bed goes down, bed goes up, bed goes down. <laughs> Uh, that's a nice point. Thank you for, for that. It is very shiny. Oh, squirrel. What were we saying? Oh, yes, it's shiny. shiny. It's very and shiny. It pops out. Feel his legs. I don't want to touch his legs. Oh, yeah, yes, you know, I've never done that before. It's embossed. Oh, yes, very, very interesting. It also had a standard cover by Kelly Jones, which Do wasn't as interesting. Like? No, do not <laughs> lick my comic. It's a wraparound cardboard affair, forming one image, the effect of which is somewhat diluted by having an advert stapled to the back for the death of Superman novel and the continuing Knight's Quest to the Search and the Crusade storyline that will be continuing in the back books. The cover, which has Batman in his regular costume swinging over the city, whilst the back cover has Bane holding Robin by his leg while stood on a typically gothic piece of Gotham architecture. It flips over to reveal it's only half a cover, and the other reveals Batman in his new costume in exactly the same pose. The logo, the issue number, the DC bullets, and the Nightfall banner are all embossed in silver. 
hits an extremely strike. Michael is now feeling all over the cover. Because, oh yeah, shiny, oh embossed. Even the 500. Even the 500 is it? You're, did you read this? Yeah, I did, but I didn't touch it up. I should hope not. Because <laughs> that would just be fetish. Even 500 is and popped out. Wrong. Will you stop stroking my comic? It's making me feel wrong. <laughs> oh dear. I think it's an extremely striking and eye catching cover. Well executed in an era of bad cover layouts and gimmicks. The only problem I have is Batman's new suit. God, it's ugly. It's also. Do you? Really? I think it's really impractical. In addition to the spiky gloves, which are even worse under Quisada's pencil, Batman now sports leg pouches, presumably more artillery. A pouched three-quarter utility belt, stick-out bat wings on his calves and wrists, and silver armour on his midriff. The suit is topped off with a metal cowl that covers his whole face, and what looks like metal shoulder pads. How, how does he even move in this uniform? He's Jean Paul Valley. Oh, God. How does he do agile bat stuff? He doesn't. He beats the crap out of people. Oh, right. Okay. Opening up the issue gives us a postcard of classic Batman by Jim Aparo, which I presume is some kind of free gift. I don't recall if this was mentioned in the solits. And the new Batman by Mike Manley. Which of those pieces of art do you prefer, Michael? I prefer the Jim Aparo on though, because at least he drew a background. Mm. Mike Manley just looks like he knocked that out in a brief second at lunch. I like the Batman one. The new Batman one? No, the old Batman one. The Jim Aparo one. Mm. Yeah, it's quite good, that. I like that one. It's a two-part story. Part one was 28 pages by Doug Mensch, Jim Aparo and Terry Austin. And part two, 27 pages of the same writer, but art by Mike Manley. Uh, it was all coloured by Adrienne Roy, lettered by Ken Brusenak, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, and Dennis O'Neill edited it. Part one is called Dark Angel The Fall. It picks up directly where Tech 666 left off. Batman is falling from a suspended scaffold with Bane hacking at the rope, holding him up by the ankle. Bane hacks at the rope and Batman fires his shurikens at it, pushing him back. Too late, the rope snaps. Bane crows over his success, but Batman manages to fire off a bat grapple from his ugly new gauntlets. The grapple catches enough to slow the fall, but not enough to stop him. Stop <laughs> feeling my comic! <sighs> Batman manages to push himself away from the wall and into the fountain of the mall below. Bane follows, but instead runs off. Batman, too wounded to run after him, takes off, vowing that next time will be the last time. He returns to the cave. He really is feeling the book. He returns to the cave, and following a final argument with Robin, Sean Paul sets about redesigning the suit further. That's just normal oh, hair. Right, right. There's nothing embossed about the actual book itself. They should emboss comics. They shouldn't, no. They should. They probably will now, they've gone digital. Meanwhile, Murkrow, changed by his encounter with the Scarecrow and the Joker, orders Lieutenant Kitch not to get in Batman's way, whilst Gordon ponders the change in his friend. Bane contacts Trog, Zombie and Bird, now in lockup, and asks where they store the venom. He does not, however, break them out. He finds the venom and injects himself. He's now ready for Batman. Robin has finally arranged to meet with Dick Grayson, Nightwing, and explains the situation. In a very out-of-character and quite badly written scene, Nightwing just brushes it all off as Bruce knows what he's doing and leaves. Bruce, meanwhile, does know what he's doing. 
He's in Santa Prisca looking for Chandra Kinsolving and Tim's dad. And that's it for Bruce Wayne's appearance in the 500th issue of Batman. Back in Gotham, Bane calls out Batman for the final showdown. That was the final countdown. We can change the words. Oh, okay. It's the final showdown. That better. He kills the old Batman, but now Batman's back. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not the old Batman, because he has no back. (laughs) Oh, dear God. Did you like the first part of this story, young Michael? That was alright. That's that's your comments. It was all right. I preferred the second part. Did you? Okay, well, we'll get to that in a minute. All right. Now, I'm not fond of Aparo's art Sam of Nolan's, mm. especially uh, with his Bane. See, the, the, this Bane, especially the mask, has annoyed me all over Nightfall. Why? It just looks flat. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. If you just look at any picture of Bane in this first part the mask looks flat so it looks like he doesn't have any definition to his face is what yeah. you're saying like he doesn't have a nose or ears or yeah. anything like that okay it's did Mike Manley change that then I don't know oh okay um, and who's Ariana Ariana was Tim's girlfriend at the time right so in that case why isn't Tim hanging out with her if he is sad and lonely like he says he is here then wouldn't that give him more reason to hang out with her instead of sitting in his room all depressed waiting for some guy to come back with his dad well probably but Ariana was was his girlfriend for a while over in the main Robin book if memory serves Um, I don't know maybe he's just somebody who likes moping yes I wouldn't know maybe he just likes listening to Morrissey and feeling sorry for himself Oh, just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> oh, more Smith. The first few pages give impetus to Jean-Paul changing the suit. He points out that the cape drags on him and the suit is in tatters. Granted, it's more of a testament to Jean-Paul's inability to use the suit properly, like Bruce did, than any real inadequacies in the design. But, you know. Uh, page five. When he lands in the water fountain, would he not hurt his leg, though? snap it maybe because the art does make it seem like he does hit his the front of his leg mm. and that would probably hurt his shin I would have thought page 6 panel 3 Batman's neck looks broken which one oh, oh, yeah. he's turning his head in that way that cats can do ah just snap something see that human beings can't manage yeah so that that seemed a bit strange <laughs> Yes. Uh, what's what's um, you've just seen my next note, haven't you? What's going on with that guy's eyes on page seven, panel three? <laughs> it looks like he looks like the eyes that you put in Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> and what's really funny, he stays like that to the next page. On the next page, he's still got googly eyes. <laughs> he needs an optician's appointment. Oh, I, I think he needs something, yeah. Um, Aparo reuses the panel layout for Batman 497 on page 12 with panels 2, 3 and 4 uh, forming that. one large panel when looked at as a whole. Uh, again, it's great looking layout and it works out quite well. Robin and Batman go their separate ways here with Tim finally sickening of Jean-Paul's methods. He spells it out for him by saying that he should forget the night and remember the dark. There are some very interesting artistic choices in this issue. Terry Austin's ink are very crisp and clean and it's pretty impossible 
for any artist to look cack under Terry Austin's inks. But there are certain pages, page 5, panel 2, page 8, panels 3 and 4, and page 25, panel 6, that look like they're printed directly from the pencils. Mm. Um, it seems strange to only do it in certain places. I don't know what effect he was going for, but look, bottom of page 25, look at the difference between panel 2 of Bruce yeah. and panel 6 of Bruce. Doesn't that just look like it's shot from the pencils? It does Like a bit. Terry Austin did an ink it. And there's a couple of, of pages like that. I like it. Because hmm. I, am, I am one of those people who often thinks the pencils look much better than the finished book. And there is a whole raft of artists who, when I've seen their original pencils, I've thought, actually, they're really good. Jim Lee. No, I'm not so sure about Jim Lee. He looks better both times, but he has said that when he's inking his own stuff, his pencils are really, 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 really loose. But when he's as someone else is inking, he gets them as tight as he can. And his pencils still look damn cool. Yeah, I think a lot of artists' pencils look better. I don't know whether it's the printing or the colouring that makes them lose some definition. Colouring. You think? Yeah. Okay. See, we didn't have that problem. We grew up with black and white comics. Or I did. You Fair. didn't. Ace the Bat Hound. I don't think he's actually called Ace the Bat Hound here, is he? To be honest with you. I think he's just named Ace. Uh, doesn't like Jean Paul. Dogs are quite sensible. I think. Harold looks after him on page 18. Uh, and I just wonder how long it'll be before he kicks poor Harold and poor Ace out of the back cave. Wait, is Gene Paul eating dog food, though? No, no, dog food, though. He's, he's giving it oh, to... Oh, that's him. not Gene Paul, that's no, Harold. that's Harold. Harold's uh, feeding Ace. Yes. Page 20. Yay! Nightwing! Finally! And what a huge letdown this was. Dick Grayson is funny and curring, and he's not this disaffected jerk who seems to care little for Tim and even less for Bruce. It seems to me the writers couldn't decide what to do with Nightwing for this story. They couldn't have him become Batman, the logical thing to do when Bruce is badly hurt, because Dick would be a great Batman, and they needed someone who wouldn't be. But at the same time, the reason they give for Bruce not asking Dick doesn't really ring true. So for the most part, they just ignore that he exists, don't they? Mm. Even here, the scene feels very throwaway, very much the editors saying, here you go, Nightwing, now shut up and leave us alone. And that's it. And it's just... And Nightwing's not drawn particularly well. I mean, the costume he's wearing's crap. Yeah. For a start. He did get a better costume when Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel did their own series. And this costume is better than the first one he had. Where he, he had the big oh, yeah, dead yeah. man collar. The, the Teen Titans Yeah, one. the Teen Titans one. But it looks like... And I hate to bring this up again because we'll argue. But it looks like Dick Grayson's rocking the mullet in this one. Is hers a lot shorter on the top than it is at the back? That's a Mel Gibson mullet. Yes, that is more of a Mel Gibson mullet. I'll give you that. Maybe they, they wanted Mel Gibson to play Dick Grayson. Part one was the end at the time of Aparo's continued involvement with the character. And the art is very interesting. Austin works well with anybody. And he gives Aparo's clean pencils a nice line whilst being very respectful of the penciler's work. A nice mix that we didn't see more of, unfortunately. Part two is called Dark Angel The Descent. The new Batman glides over Gotham in his funky new suit. He sees Bane's neon sign calling her out and thus begins 27 pages of Fighty McFighting style. He glides towards the sign wanting finally to end this so his reign as the Batman can begin properly. 
Bane strikes as Batman arrives and Kitch orders his men to stand down. If Krull wants by the book, he'll give it to him. Batman strikes, firing shurikens into Bane's arms and then pounding mercilessly on him with spiked gauntlets and boots. Bane, tiring of Batman's shtick, injects more venom and comes back swinging. Batman cuts the ties to the venom on Bane's back and Bane runs. Batman takes after him, entering the train yard and Bane boards a train. Batman grapples on and reels himself in. He finds the car holding Bane and round three begins. Bane throws the driver out of the car, causing the train to speed up. Bullock notes that the train won't make the turns. Robin shows up just in time to uncouple the train cars and save the passengers. The first car barrels ahead without the extra weight, with Batman and Bane fighting inside. Bane is on the ropes and Batman kicks him out of the falling car and saves himself. He almost kills Bane, but turns him over to the police instead. Robin gives him his blessing as Batman Mark II leaves. Marchman's got a clean headshot on Bane, Commissioner. No, wait! Kill me, transgressor, betrayer, defiler. I shall punish! Batman, no! He is broken. Blackgate Prison can hold the pieces. Yes. You see, Robin, I can't resist the system. Hey, look. I still don't like the way you do things, but you have earned the right to a costume, new or old. And I guess you are the Batman. Thanks, kid. What do you think, Michael? I actually quite like this costume, especially with this artist as well. Well, I think I put that in my notes, didn't I? It takes a pretty good artist to make Jean-Paul's outfit look both functional, practical and cool. And Mike Manley really pulls it off. Um, I'm, what Did Austin ink this story as well? Or is it all Mike Manley? Because if you look at the credits on page one, it just says Jim Aparo and Terry Austin, Mike Manley artist. So I'm getting from that Austin only inked part one, yeah. not part two. And part two is all Mike Manley's work. And yeah, page one especially... It really doesn't look as awful with Mike Manley's drawing it. It doesn't look practical. No. But it doesn't look awful. It doesn't look practical anyway. No, it doesn't look practical anywhere. That's very true. Um, I um, like how Gordon is working out who Batman is. Or, or, or who isn't. He isn't Batman At that yet. point, yeah. That is quite Especially clever. with Bane's big giveaway by putting Batman in quotation marks. Yes, that none of the other police spotted. Yeah. Well done, crack detective unit. Where's Montoya? I'm sure Montoya would have spotted that, hmm. but she's not here, is she? Mainly because if she were there to spot it, there wouldn't be more of a plot. Gordon wouldn't be as clever, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, fair enough. Um, is it also ironic that Bane's more concerned about the safety of innocence than Jean Paul is? When they go to the train, Bane gets there first and he tells everyone in the train to move into another car. Whereas if Batman would have got there first, he would have just sat there and waited till Bane smashes it up. Yeah, because Batman doesn't seem to give a rat's ass about the people on the train, does he? No. No, that's very true. Whereas Bane cares about the people. I he doesn't want to kill them. I wouldn't say he cares about them. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't quite go that far. He wouldn't harm them because he's problem is with Batman. He throws the driver out of the train and the train runs over him. That's not somebody who curse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jean-Paul has redesigned the cape so that it functions as a hang glider. 
able to catch the wind and fly over the city. Didn't they do that in the movie? I was just going to say, didn't they do that in Batman Begins? Yeah. Did they do it in any of the uh, Tim Burton ones? I don't know. Do you know? I don't remember. I think he... Yes, he did when he's rescuing Vicky Vale. He uses the cape as a hang glider. Okay. So, yes. So he did do that. Yeah, I've mentioned as well that Bane's sign has quote marks around Batman, something that Gordon picks up on. Gordon also pays attention to the conversation fueling his suspicion that Batman is a new man. Mm. Bullock is far too busy cheering on the fight to actually listen to what they're saying. I think I'd be too Which, Yeah, I thought that it's was quite funny. Fight. Some of the narration on the opening three pages, do you not think that was a bit flowery for, for Jean-Paul? The first six pages, actually, it goes on for... Five or six, I remember. The, the flood from heaven and all that stuff. Oh, Feeling right. like a black comet slashing the sky, scattering stars in his wake. I don't... This charming man! Well, we have established that he, he does like poetry. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe, there's, maybe he is a bit of a Morrissey figure. Who knows? Um, it's quite excellent kick to the stones by Batman on page 48, panel 2. Quite well. clearly punches Bane <laughs> in the nads. The if you want to take down your opponent. <laughs> well, yeah, he doesn't take any prisoners. Robin shows more brains here than Spider-Man does in Spider-Man 2. Hmm. Grant, greeted with the same situation in Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man tries to stop the entire train, doesn't he? Yeah. Whereas, didn't we say when we watched the film, wouldn't it have been smart to just uncouple the first train hmm. and then he would only have to stop the first one? Which I think he does in the novel. I think Peter David fixed that but Robin did it first so that's that's Robin's obviously smarter than Peter Parker or certainly smarter than TV film Peter Parker which is fine because TV film Peter Parker couldn't invent web shooters could he no whereas comic book Peter Parker can so I think Peter Parker's clever yes than film Peter Parker and creates lots of new Spidey costumes yes which make him look like a green lantern yes the green Spider-Man uh, this is trimmed down significantly in the audio adaptation and the novel. The audio adaptation, Batman takes Bane down in three minutes. And in the book, the fight is similarly truncated, mainly because pages of people beating the crap out of each other is interesting to a point in a visual medium, but a bit boring in written or audio form. Lots of. And he swung his left arm yeah, into his face. Oh, lots of stuff like this. Ow! Yes, I don't think that would have worked well in a... I'm sorry, I didn't really mean to hit you, though. I don't think that would have worked out quite well on, on, uh, on radio. Uh, the epic fight scene at the end uh, is better than in the audio or the book, because in terms of this book, it's a fantastic issue. The art's brilliant. It would have been my preference to have Chuck Dixon write the last story instead of Mensch as Dixon did a man's job, to quote Gaff from Blade Runner, and it would have been nice to see both writers tackle the last story. But I thought this was a very satisfying finale hmm. to Act One of the Knight's Trilogy. Oh, yeah, on that panel there. Page 34, panel one. Hmm. He looks like the DC 1000 Batman. He does a bit. I do wonder if they took some of the design from that. For the uh, DC 1000 stuff. Mike Ma- did Mike Manley carry on being the artist for Batman in this? He did, didn't he? Carried yeah, on being the artist know. for Batman after this. So, in conclusion, young Michael, mm-hmm. was Nightfall a success in your humble opinion? Defined success. Did you enjoy reading it? I did, yes. Did you think it worked as a story? Sort of. Why? What points did you not think it was worked? It was self-contained. 
No, it isn't. It really isn't self-contained. That is a valid criticism. I think it's one that we've made all the way through the shows where we've covered this. Mm. Any people who picked up Nightfall with the number one on it because it had a number one on it would have been going a bit, eh? yeah. But at the same time, it did fill in the gaps for you as you went along. There wasn't as yeah. much filling in of who Jean-Paul was, was there? Not really. Really, if you've not read Sword of Azrael, you're a bit buggered. Um, I think it was. Uh, it was a storyline that kept me gripped throughout and followed the old storytelling tenet of give your audience what they think they want. It had some lapses. Our feelings on the positioning of the two-faced story are well documented by now. And as Michael Bailey pointed out with Blackest Night, there was some repetition of story beats. But I do think that is more to do with the nature of the beast with serialised fiction. DC would like to have everybody pick up every issue that has a Nightfall banner. But they can't be sure they will, so they have to allow for the fact that they won't. It makes sense not to confuse your audience while still keeping them interested. The letters pages have been a good look at how the reader of the day took this story, and this is why I think letters pages are good historical documents. The internet's fine, but it's full of knee-jerk reactions to things that people won't see for three months, and by then the discussion of the issue itself is lost. Nightfall works, or at least it did for me. It may have been a gimmick to capitalise on the success of the Superman books, but a story that doesn't have a point or a direction will quickly lose readers, the Spider-Man clone saga, or more recently Ed Brubach as Captain America. Yeah. which we're both rapidly Bought losing interest in. Yeah. That is because apparently he's now stretched the story because he didn't think people would like Bucky as Captain America. And okay. when they did, yeah. he's kept him around longer than he had intended. Likewise, Jeff Johns planned on leaving Green Lantern after Blackest Night. Really? And I think he should have done, okay. personally. Um, Nightfall didn't reach that point were you were sick of it Night's Quest mm. is not something I can say the same about um, I may change my mind when we go through it uh, I've spent a long time talking about the audio and the novelization of the story for both of those this is only the first act the audio has the end of Nightfall at around the two hour mark of what is a three hour adaptation and the novel has it as the conclusion of part one I really do recommend both if you want to experience this story but are disappointed that DC has never published any of the second act, Night's Quest, in a graphic novel. Of the two, the novel would be my preferred recommendation, and you can pick it up quite cheaply on eBay if you look for the um, initial paperback. My version is the Barnes & Noble special edition that came out on the 10th anniversary in 2004, which I picked up when we were on holiday in Florida, along with The Death of Superman by Roger Stern. Both books were on the stand as you walked in Barnes & Noble really? in Florida, yeah. And they were only ten dollars each, so I thought having them. Is that why they're both the same cover, kind of? Yeah, they're the Barnes and Noble special editions. Okay. I don't know that they were available anywhere that wasn't Barnes and Noble. So, did they do the same book though? It's got more introductions right. and afterwards and special features in okay. than the regular paperback. But if you're only interested in reading the story, I recommend picking up the novel. Uh, in the comics. The story, of course, continued in Night's Quest and Night's End, both of which we will be covering after the summer. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. Then. Why do you not want it? I don't know. We're, <laughs> we're, we're turning into a Batman cast. Oh, well, that's why. We're going to have a couple of weeks off now going back to being random. Okay. Because we like being random. I know what I'm doing next week. Do you know what you're doing next week? No. Not giving any thought yet whatsoever. And then... Very excited about Hey Kids Comics Couch Potato. Because I get to sit on my ass. Yes. And watch TV. And watch TV. How <laughs> is that not perfect? 
We've picked the episodes that we're going to be covering over August for Hey Kids Comics Couch Potato. Michael's had a little bit of say in it, but he doesn't really seem too bothered over what we watch, as long as it's sitting on his ass eating bonbons or whatever it is that you eat. I don't eat much. Uh, no, I've noticed by your skinny frame. Um, we will be returning to Night's Quest and Night's End as the nights draw in in September, primarily because I want to get ahead on the notes for Night's Quest. We're not going to do as few issues per episode. We're probably going to do th- four or five issues per episode, <clears throat> but in a more streamlined fashion is the hope, because otherwise we would turn into a Batman podcast. Um, that's it for Nightfall, though. Yeah. We we hope you enjoyed it. Michael is feeling my comic again. Oh no. Yeah, you sat there <laughs> stroking the embossed Batman logo. Like I don't know. Oh dear me. We hope you enjoyed Nightfall. We'd love to hear from you. We have a forum. We have email. We have a Facebook page. All of that is coming up underscored to the magnificent theme to Danger Man. A fantastic piece of music. Uh, Yes. We'll be back next week when we're going to do a couple of random episodes before we hit Couch Potato in August. Thank you to everyone who's dropped us a line on Nightfall. Hope you continue to do so. We hope you enjoyed this, what has been our most epic run of episodes thus far, hasn't it? Certainly the... the, You... Stop! He's doing the thing with the cover again. Cover open. (laughs) Old Batman. Cover closed. New Batman. Old Batman. New Batman. Old Batman. New Batman. Stop it. Okay. (sighs) We're done. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Hey Kids Comics is at The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do Production. Every Thursday, new episodes drop at aplayland.podomatic.com. You can join in the fun. We have a website where you can view the covers of the comics that we talk about, www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com, and the show can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. If you're allergic to email, we also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We are also on Facebook. You can contact us using Hey Kids as the first name, Comics as the surname. The opinions of Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Andrew and Michael and no one else. Mainly because no one else would be dumb enough to have those opinions. The music and clips used in the show are copyright, their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.